If we break a leg, we wear a cast until the bone heals, right? You don't see people walking around in a cast saying they broke their leg 10 years ago. So why do we accept wearing corrective lenses or glasses forever? You can fix your vision. And my guest today is going to tell you how. She used to deliver babies, but now she delivers exceptional wellness for women. Welcome to Her Brilliant Health Radio, where holistic women's health expert and board-certified OBGYN Dr. Kieran Dunstan shares revolutionary insight from leading experts on what you need to know today to treat the root cause of disease, heal, and create the radiant health you've been searching for. Lean in and get ready to experience the bountiful, blissful, and beautiful vitality that you deserve. Dr. Kieran, back for another episode of her Brilliant Health Revolution podcast. So excited to be here with you today in this new year. We are going to talk about vision today and how you can heal your vision naturally and ditch the glasses. How many of you would like to ditch your readers? I know I'd love to ditch mine. I'm going to tell you about my special guest today who's going to share her experience about how you can heal your vision naturally and get off the crutch that glasses are. So Claudia Muhlenweg is a holistic vision coach who focuses on finding the root cause of her client's blurry vision instead of using symptomatic treatments like glasses, contacts, or surgery. She's the founder of Holistic Vision and the creator of the Naturally Clear Vision Method. Her experience with glasses eventually drove her to discover natural solutions to common eyesight problems. The naturally clear vision method uses a unique strategy to reduce strain and improve eyesight, no matter what your age. Welcome, Claudia. I'm so excited to be here, Dr. Kieran. I heard a long time ago about improving vision naturally. But this is before I discovered functional medicine and root cause resolution and how you can heal the body by addressing the root cause problems. And so I really didn't pay any attention, unfortunately. And now I know that it's absolutely true. So I'm very excited to dive in with you into this topic. But let's start with just kind of framing the problem. Framing the problem, right? It's a pun there. (laughs) (laughs) So it's so common at midlife that we women start wearing readers. We consider it inevitable. We don't question it. We just get the readers and we have them stashed all over the place. If you're like me, I've got one in my bedroom, one in my office. I got them in my car. I got them in my purse, right? And we start having to look at things really much more closely. And so why is this such a common problem? So traditional medicine talks about the lens is being is hardening, and that's the reason why this is happening. The lens does grow layers as you get older, that's true. But it's really more, what I find, more a stiffening of your whole attitude, your mindset, your body. It's like, you know, how our body, we have to just move a little more, we have to do a little bit more maintenance. So it's not like inevitable. I have known many, many people in their 70s, 80s, 90s, and even my friend Sal Maraz, who died at 101 last year, who never used glasses. So, but I found they have a very agile mind. Like they're very looking forward to the day. They don't like count the days to retirement. They have a very 
you know, how do you say this? A joyful attitude to life and are really interested in things. So it's to me, it's more of a hardening of your mindset and your beliefs. Um, in addition to the body, right? We do need, we all know that we need to do a little bit more maintenance as we get older. Yeah, you know, that's so interesting. You're talking about hardening of the mind because we really don't see with our eyes. We really see with our brain. Our eyes are just the mechanism that transmits the information to our brain. And so it makes sense to me that if you're having some type of brain difficulty slowing, which with age, a lot of people will get slowing in the function of the brain, that you would have accompanying vision problems. So it kind of makes sense when you think about what vision really is. Is it right that we should accept it as being quote unquote normal, that we're just going to need readers and be nearsighted as we get older? First of all, it's farsighted. And this is another thing that everybody confuses. (laughs) (laughs) So farsighted is when you need readers, right? Nearsighted is when you can't see the distance clearly, but you can see the near point super clear. You know, your listeners might be fall into one, uh, both categories, like, right? Some of your listeners might be nearsighted, maybe have had glasses since childhood, you know, college years. And some of your listeners might be had perfect vision until they hit 40, 45, 50 or something. So it's not normal, but it's common. And I really like to differentiate between those two because normal is something that we often confuse with common just because a lot of people have this thing. You know, like look at other health problems, diabetes, just because a lot of people have that, it's not normal. I hope that makes sense. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. It's what I talk about all the time, just because 60% of women in menopause are overweight or obese, that's normal because most people have it, but it's not optimal and it's not what's possible. And so what you're saying is the same with vision that it's normal that people become farsighted. I stand corrected. but it's not what's possible or what's optimal. So how is our lifestyle contributing to our vision problems at midlife? So you talked about stress already, right? So stress is a huge factor and diet is another factor that you mentioned. Over the years, I hate when doctors call something age-related because usually to me, it's lifestyle-related. It's just over time, over a few decades, stuff catches up with us, right? Like things we could get away with in our 20s don't work anymore. So it's on all these different levels. Computers definitely don't help. I spend a lot of time at the computer, but I know what I'm doing and I'm using techniques, vision practices, blue blockers. I I know what I'm doing, right? But if you just use the computer all day long, you see a higher rate of people becoming what's technically called presbyopic, which is a farsightedness that appears in what they call an age, right? That age-related farsightedness. So computers, spending too much time indoors, sunlight is really important for good vision, not shifting attention enough around, like being locked into one distance for a long time, which our eyes are not meant to be locked into a single distance for hours at a time. Those are all contributing factors. And then just what we talked about earlier, the mindset, the emotional aspect, you know, a lot of women our age go through this change in their life. And it's not just menopause. It might also be an empty nester situation, maybe a divorce. A lot of times, you know, in midlife, we have huge life changes and that can affect our well-being, our mental well-being, our emotional well-being, our stress levels, all those things. Yeah, I think it's a great point that you make that we call it age-related decline as if 
We had no control over it as if it was some outside force that was causing this. But the truth is, it's just our daily habits multiplied over time become our health. And so it really shouldn't be called age-related decline. It should be habit-related decline. And this is true for weight gain. That's, we all associate it midlife with weight gain, perimenopause and menopause. But the truth is that it's because of habits and imbalances that are causing the weight gain. So I agree with you, that is not a great term. So how do these specific things contribute to poor eyesight, like stress? The average person is probably thinking, what, stress contributes to my eyesight being bad? Like, can you help them understand that? Yes, so first of all, I would encourage your listeners, think about, does your vision ever vary? Is it maybe better in the morning? You know, maybe better in the afternoon? Like, everybody's vision varies up to every 10 seconds. So even if I, my vision is 20, 10, 20, 15, depends right on the day and the moment. But I, I led a summit uh, last year and during the summit, my computer died, like in the middle of me hosting the summit. I was in full fight or flight mode, full stress mode and believe every, everything was blurry. So when we are in that fight or flight mode, right, that stress response that so many of us are caught in now all day long, then your pupils dilate, your peripheral vision shuts down, you know, you, you have adrenaline, you have all these reactions, your heart rate goes up, your blood pressure goes, you know, all these reactions. And if that is a chronic syndrome, your vision will be affected. So just think about a, a time when you were really stressed. And if you wear glasses, maybe that are even overcorrected, you might not be as aware of that compared to somebody who never wore glasses and now starts to wear them. Usually I find those students are more aware of their fluctuations versus somebody who's been wearing glasses since they're like, you know, six years old. But everybody's vision varies depending on their stress level. So the reverse of that is best vision is when you're in the relaxed state, when you're in that parasympathetic nervous system state. Yeah, I think that's a great point to make and to have people really pay attention. I don't think it's something that most of us pay attention to. I mean, if you're listening, when's the last time you paid to the variation in your visual acuity on an hour to hour or moment to moment basis? Like I know that definitely is true for me once I started paying attention. When I am more stressed, when I have more to do, I'm worrying about more, then actually my vision is worse. And so it's this outflow of that sympathetic nervous system that jacks up like all your metabolic processes, your heart rate, your respiratory rate, and really affects your vision. And so how do these other habits contribute to determining what your vision is? The root cause really of vision problems is strain. And strain is a word that founder of this whole method like over 100 years ago, an ophthalmologist in New York, Dr. William Bates, he kind of was the first to really discover because he saw his patients, right, suddenly improving. And he's like, hold on, I wasn't taught in ophthalmology school that you can improve your vision. So he started researching and strain can be many different things, but usually it starts in the mind. And, the, you know, that's when we first get stressed out and then the body reacts to that. So a strain habit could be that you're staring, that you're staring at the computer, that you're not blinking, that you try to see too much clearly at once, which is anatomically impossible, that you eat a very poor diet with lots of sugar, which can, you know, causes oxidative stress, 
all these, most of these so-called age-related eye diseases are definitely caused by a poor diet as the main contributor. Maybe you don't sleep well, right? You're tired, but you're kind of drinking three cups of coffee to kind of, you know, keep your eyes open. So hold on, Claudia. I know some people are thinking, what is she talking about? My diet is going to affect my vision. You know, they're probably thinking, Dr. Kieran always talks about how what I eat affects my hormones, and that's far enough, and I get it. But my vision, Claudia, really? So can you help people understand why a diet that's high in sugars and increases oxidative stress is actually going to affect your visual acuity? That's a long process, but basically, when you think of the lens, for instance, the lens structure, right? When you when people get diagnosed with cataracts, the lens is a perfect protein structure, right? And if you get too much sugar in that, that destroys that perfect structure, and that's when the cloudiness of the lens happens. And we actually have a lot of, we even have diabetic retinopathy. I mean, it's even called diabetic retinopathy, which affects your retina, which blood vessels get blocked. You know, like just it does for the heart or the rest of the body, but the eye has tiny, tiny, tiny blood vessels. And when there's blockages, then the, the body automatically tries to create new vessels, right? But those are weak and then they break and then you might get bleeding. It's, sugar can also create swelling. Too much sugar can, uh, high blood sugar levels can also create swelling in the lens. Inflammation, right? It's, it's like whatever, you know, when you think about every body part is affected by this. And the eyes are one of the most sensitive organs that we have. It's so true. And I want everyone to hear what Claudia is saying. Every cell in your body is affected by sugar. Sugar attaches to these cells and inflames them, distorts them. And then that causes a problem in whatever tissue you're talking about. And you don't have to have a diagnosis of diabetes to be having these problems, folks. You don't. Just if you eat any sugar on a regular basis, more than an, an episodic or rare basis, your cells are being bathed in that sugar and that sugar is sticking to your cells and can damage them. So I want you to really hear what she's saying because it's just more along the lines of what I always want to teach you and want you to understand. We'll be right back after this short message from our sponsor. Hey there, it's your conscience calling. It's a new year. Just wondering where you are with your resolution. You remember the one to lose some weight and get in shape? You know, life would be a whole lot better if you upped your metabolism, lost a few pounds, had some energy, and could get in your skinny jeans again, right? But I know you don't want to count calories, and I don't want you to either. And working out at the gym is not your idea of fun. Or mine. I know you hate the thought that you might fail at weight loss. Again. And I do too. And that's why, this time, I've set you up for the ultimate success by working with a doctor who lost 100 pounds at midlife herself by addressing all the hidden causes of weight gain no one's told you about. It's about so much more than diet and exercise. You'll see, Dr. Kieran will tell you all the secrets you need to know to lose 10 pounds and double your energy in the 28-day Jumpstart program. It addresses all the reasons that 90% of weight loss programs fail women at midlife. Yup, it was created by Dr. Kieran after she lost 100 pounds at midlife. She designed it to address the same issues that you're having. Only you don't know you're having them because no one told you. So yes, I heard what you want, and for sure, you totally deserve it. To live in a body that is healthy and vital and supports you in doing everything that you want to do. And to look good doing it, while having more fun than you can imagine, I got you. 
And I know you don't want to pay a lot of money to try yet another program. So you'll love the special introductory offer of just $47 to join. Just $47? Girl, you know you spend that on things you can't even remember every single month. What have you got to lose? Nothing. Losing 10 pounds could just be the jumpstart you need to your next level of living. It's all ready for you. Just go to jumpstartyourmidlifemojo.com to get the details on this amazing program and sign up now. Then you can check off Lose Weight and Feel Great from your to-do list and get back to the things that matter most to you. I heard you, and I've answered. Dr. Kieran's got your resolution covered with the Jumpstart program. I'll see you there. And we're back. And then you talked about sleep, Claudia. Help us understand that. Well, sleep is the time that our body regenerates, right? And same with the eyes. So the eyes do need to rest, but more importantly, like you said earlier, the brain, right, needs to rest. And we process a lot of the information we get throughout the day as we sleep. And so, you know, you probably notice when you are tired, when you didn't sleep enough, how your eyes might be even be dry or be like, you know, itchy or you just don't feel rested. And good vision is based on rest and relaxation. So having enough sleep, I don't think there is that specific thing that I can mention that sleep is that miracle. It's just important to feel rested and feel energized to get enough sleep. Yeah, I think it's so important to remember that sleep is rest, but it's also repair. Mm -hmm. And your body does detox while you're sleeping and repairs different cells. And so it's it's really vital. It's vital for weight loss. It's vital for hormone balance. It's vital for vision. So how did you come to know that eyesight could be healed naturally? And what's your journey to offer to help people to understand this and help them ditch the glasses. I got my first pair of glasses when I was three years old. And like any small child, glasses are just the worst thing you want on your face. When I started school at age six, I was teased, bullied, made fun of because there was only one other kid out of 35 in my whole classroom. And he was the professor. He was that smart kid that had the answer to everything. I was not. So I got more and more shy. I felt really insecure. I had no confidence. A few years later, I remember I was invited to play on the handball team, even though I wasn't a good player, but I was like, somebody wants to hang out with me. I was excited. And I joined and I couldn't wear my glasses when I was playing handball because they were glass and it was too dangerous. And after three years of doing that as a teenager, the eye doctor said, your vision is normal. So in hindsight, I contribute that to the being outside in the sunlight, had eye coordination, catching the ball, you know, your peripheral vision, all these good things that, you know, that are important for vision. And then I noticed as I was in my high school final exams that my vision got blurry again. And I was really freaking out because I was just had a couple of years of no glasses and boys told me I have pretty eyes. I finally felt confident. And I found this book. So I was like, I was determined that this, I knew, I knew instinctively this is not normal. Like, why is it getting worse? And I found one book in one bookstore, like really I searched all over. And that book talked about relaxation and gave vision practices. And I did those religiously. And I, my vision cleared up right every time, right away it cleared up. And then I didn't wear glasses until like my thirties again. And then I was in a horrible marriage, lots of stress, was a single mom eventually. You can imagine with two small children, stress galore. And that's when I was, yeah, back in glasses. Then I was like, after a few years of that, and I noticed how my vision got worse really quickly wearing those, 
I was like, I've done this before. Like, you know, I found that book and then as serendipity had it, my yoga teacher said, you know, I'm studying natural vision improvement. Do you want to be one of my guinea pig students? I'm like, yes, yes, yes. And then eventually I decided to teach this as I, when, after I got rid of my glasses. And I look at you now, no glasses, <laughs> which is a rarity for women in our age group. And more of us have glasses than not. And so I love that you're teaching this to other people so that they can improve their vision and get off the glasses. And I know when we talked before, you were kind of using an analogy of the insanity of glasses to, I think, a cast when you break a break a bone. So can you tell everyone that? Yeah. So it's to me, what's always so interesting is that, you know, when, when you have vision problems, you go to the eye doctor and usually people leave with a prescription for glasses or contacts. If you were to break your arm, you know, and they would put a cast on you and say, Hey, you know, you have to wear this for the rest of your life. It's going to get a little thicker over time, you know, every year, a little, maybe a quarter, you know, quarter inch more, you would be like, wait, what? No, you would run away and find another doctor, right? So with glasses, we have somehow accepted that that's the treatment. And I make air quotation marks because that's not a treatment. That's just basically keeping you, it's kind of like diabetes pills, right? It's like any kind of pill that you have to take for the rest of your life. And they make your vision worse. And you might be able to attest to that. Like everybody that starts with readers within a few years depends on, you know, how... The situation is, but between two and five years, usually everybody's in progressive glasses because your perfect distance vision that was always great suddenly from wearing all these readers all the time also goes downhill, and then you can't see anything clearly near or far. Right, and I just love that analogy when you told me that it really opened my eyes to the insanity, just like I've had my eyes open sequentially about hormone imbalance and detoxification, but never had them opened like when we were talking about glasses and you said that analogy, it, it really is insanity. We don't keep a cast on and that's just to, it's a crutch basically for our bone to grow and, and we really would run out of the doctor's office if they said that, but we just accept the reality of presbyopia as we age. And I just want everyone listening to reconsider that. And, you know, this podcast is about Her Brilliant Health Revolution, which is questioning everything that we've accepted about that. What did we have to accept as women as we age is wrong, including your vision. So I know some women are listening and they're thinking, oh, I wonder if I could improve my vision. So is it ever too late to improve vision? And how do you know if this could work for you? First of all, it's never too late. I really want to encourage your listeners to not think it's ever too late. However, you know, if you've had glasses for 70 years and they're minus 10 diopters, you know, I've had students go from minus 10 to minus 7 or minus 6. That is already important because the higher your diopters, especially if you're nearsighted, the higher your risk of macular degeneration and a lot of other eye diseases. So there is a higher correlation of a risk, the stronger your glasses. So any improvements or like, you know, I've had lots of students that said, you know, I, they were in glasses full time and progressives. And then now they said, I only use them if I really read small print, but I can go without everything else. I have perfect vision again, you know? So sometimes when you have that really small vitamin bottle and it's dim light, you know, they still need glasses. So that's what I want to encourage everybody. And even if you have to do the cataract surgery, 
because it's too late, the cataracts are not too mature, knowing that the practice gives you the good habits to actually keep that vision, because I've seen many people get the surgery and within a few years, the, the vision goes downhill again, because what they didn't address is what you talked about in the beginning. Vision is 90% brain. The doctors don't really tell you that. They don't really, they just put the new lens in and off you go, right? But they don't teach you anything about your vision habits or what, what you should be doing to keep your vision perfect. Yeah, so sounds like everyone should get uh, eye exercises after they have surgery, before or as prophylactically, just like we go to the gym and work out, work out our skeletal muscles. We do yoga to do stretching. We strengthen our skeletal muscles by resistance training with weights. Sounds like we should be doing eye exercises. What do you think? Well, first of all, it's not eye exercises. So okay. this is what everybody thinks. And yes, you can say technically it is, but I prefer to call it relaxercises because most people's eye muscles are actually too tight. So it's not that your eye muscles are weak. A lot of times they're too tight and it depends on what kind of vision problems you have. We have six outer eye muscles. Most nearsighted people have the superior and the inferior oblique too tight. And for the for those anatomy nerds out there and for the far-sighted people, the far rectile muscle tend to be too tight. So it's really more about relaxing and it's also more about awareness because, you know, as you said, that we see in the brain, the retina is part of the brain, but the eyeball is not part of the brain. And think about the ease of hearing or the ease of tasting or touching, right? So vision is a sense that's supposed to be really effortless and easy. I always say when you want to touch something, your hand has to reach out, right? You have to touch but if you want to see something, your eyeballs don't have to jump out of the face like, you know, in the comics, right? Where they're like brown going. <laughs> but they, you know, you receive light. Actually, things come to you and then you process that. So, yes, technically you could, some of the things we do could be called exercises, but it's really more about awareness and relaxing and learning, pr doing practices to learn good vision habits that people with perfect vision automatically have. Right? So you kind of reintroduce good habits via a practice, if okay. that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I love that. It does make sense. And let's get into the solution. So let's talk about what are some of those healthy habits for improving your vision that you'll want to cultivate. One of the most simple ones is blinking. And blinking lubricates your eyes. So every if you don't blink much, every, it only takes 10 seconds for your tear film to thin out. And I hear a lot of times dry eye syndrome, dry eyes. So blinking is my friend Sal I mentioned earlier who had perfect vision until he was 101 and he passed away. He blinked about every second. So every two to three seconds is normal. Most people don't blink enough. That's a really simple thing. Breathing, if you, I don't know how much your listeners or how much you talk about breathing, but to get into that relaxation state, belly breathing, um, longer exhales, little pause, like all these things can help you to go and from like the spinning mind, the stress mode into the relaxation response. That's just simple things. And then shifting your focus a lot. So I have my computer at the window, so I only need to look just above the edge of the computer and I'm looking like 20 feet into my backyard. So you, you want to set up your environment in a way that supports your vision versus having, let's say, the computer against the wall and you cannot shift your focus easily. Peripheral good vision, this is something that most people don't know. 
Vision anatomy-wise is based on the fovea. We only have clear vision in the fovea, which is the size of a pinhead. It's tiny, tiny, tiny spot in our retina. That's the only area where we have perfect clarity. And once you know that, you realize that everything, you know, even if I look at a letter, small print, and I look at your name here on the, on the Skype, I look at your first, the K, then the Y is already not as clear as the K. Because we have that really small space and everything else is peripheral vision, right? Near periphery, middle, middle periphery, far periphery. And once you know that, you automatically shift your attention. And I like to think of attention versus shifting your eyes or moving your eyes. Because when your attention moves, you automatically move your head and your eyes. So those are good things to do. Yeah, those yeah. are great. Let's start with those. So blinking, that's very interesting that people don't blink enough. And the issue with dry eyes is a huge issue for women in menopause because those cells that lubricate the eye actually have sex hormone receptors. And when they're not stimulated, when you have a deficiency of these hormones, once you go through menopause, dry eye is extremely common. It can contribute to needing surgery in the future. But that's interesting. I didn't know that that contributed to presbyopia. So that's interesting. So you definitely want to get that addressed. And breathing, I think that's huge. It's something I talk about all the time. If you haven't heard me talk about it, you haven't been listening enough. So definitely tune in because we will be talking about that. But that can switch you out of that sympathetic outflow, that fight, flight, what I call the Hulk part of the nervous system that's hypermetabolic. So your blood pressure's up, your respiratory rate is up, all the blood flow to your periphery, to your hands and feet, so you can run fast and be strong. When you take those deep belly breaths, you stimulate that vagus nerve and you switch back into the parasympathetic state, which I call the Buddha, which is your rest and digest and fornicate part of your nervous system where you feel good. It's like that feeling you get after you have a massage, right? Or an orgasm, you know, whichever. <laughs> and so... <laughs> so that, what I'm hearing you say, really can calm down those tight muscles. And I liked how you described that. It's not that the muscles are weak, they're just tight. Just like when you're in stress mode, Hulk mode all the time, what happens? Your shoulders inch up to your ears. You actually don't stand erect. You bend a little, you constrict your breathing. And we just have this closed off stance. Whereas when we're in parasympathetic, our chest is open and we breathe deeply into our bellies. And so I love that that's something you can do. And also your focus on shifting focus, but not really shifting focus. You said shifting attention. As you were saying that, I was looking at a word on my computer and instead of just trying to read the letters, just generally focused my attention in the general area to see if it made a difference. And I do think it did make a difference. Yeah, so the, it's really important to know that your your perfect clarity is very, very tiny. That's where the eye movements are super important. And the practice that I teach is called the long swing. It's a way to improve those saccadic eye movements that are really tiny, tiny micro jumps. It's almost like vibrations your eyes make. Think about that. Like, it's like the heartbeat of the eyes, except that we want it to be faster versus the heartbeat we want to kind of slow it down. And people with great vision have very good fast saccadic eye movements. And people with poor vision have a tendency to try to see a whole big area clear at once. Let's say you look at your smartphone 
You know, I see that a lot when people make their type bigger. This is something that I totally discourage you from making the type, the pig, the, the font large and bold, because if you, the smaller the print, and maybe think about that, the smaller the print, the more your eyes will automatically move to be able to read. The bigger the word, you can kind of read the whole word, word without moving your eyes. Does that make sense? Like if it's really big, you can... Yes. So the eye movements are actually more inhibited. And that's why small print reading is actually a really good practice. And two other things I do want to mention is that there's a connection to light sensitivity and so-called refractive errors. And refractive errors is nearsightedness, farsightedness, astigmatism. So you want to reduce your light sensitivity. And that's why I teach something called sunning. And we do it with closed eyes initially. And then we also you know, move forward with eyes open and blinking, but I don't wear sunglasses anymore since 12 years. Made a huge difference. I couldn't drive at night before the, the traffic lights, you know, the, the headlights of cars would really cause me trouble and my pupil reaction was so slow. So when you always wear sunglasses and then inside it's kind of dark at the computer, right? You don't train your pupils to react quickly. Like the pupils are built in sunglasses, right? And I do make an exception if you have a certain eye disease or your pupils don't constrict, or if you take any drugs that prevent your pupils from constricting, then obviously you do want to wear sunglasses 100%. Or if you are in extreme conditions and snow, right? I mean, I don't want to like blanket say that you should never wear sunglasses, but generally speaking, sunglasses make you more and more light sensitive. And we'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Hey there, it's me again, your conscience. Just letting you know, I did hear you. The question is, did you hear me? Go to jumpstartyourmidlifemojo.com now to sign up for Dr. Kieran's next challenge starting soon. Pause this recording and go to the website now. We'll wait for you. Dr. Kieran's got you covered in achieving your resolutions this year. I'm always looking out for you. You're welcome. We're back. I know that you had a recent blog article talking about the different ways that sunlight is good for our vision. So is it because it helps our pupil reactivity? That's one reason. And then those cells. So we have two different types of cells in the retina, just to keep it really simple. We have cone cells, and those are the cells that give you color vision and clarity. And they only work with light. That's why when you go out at night and you don't have any headlights or any artificial light, you don't see any color, right? We, we always say all cats are gray at night. We don't have color vision at night. We have really poor vision. And that's why in those crime movies, the FBI agents, you know, they always have those kind of night vision goggles on because we can't really see much at night, you know, assuming there's no artificial light. Mm -hmm. So, and the, the cone cells, they need light to function. And so basically with, with sunlight, you kind of stimulate these cone cells to, um, it's almost like a, a vitamin for them. And the macula, that area around the fovea where we have our best vision, is actually, that's why it's called fovea lutea, the yellow spot. It's actually covered with plant pigments called lutein and zeaxanthin. And that's important. And they absorb up to 60% of the blue light because the sunlight has blue light, like, right, the sun has a full spectrum. And we often hear about blue light and the dangers. But if you don't eat like kale and spinach, and if you don't eat those foods that have a lot of lutein and zeaxanthin in them, and you don't take eye vitamins, as you get older, that gets depleted. And that's where the blue can be actually harmful to your macula. That's when you know macular degeneration and those kind of diseases start. Right. 
and you know blue light has become the latest villain but we actually need it to stay awake <laughs> we do need it i mean the reason that what i recommend because computers have a very high amount of blue and green and not the full spectrum like the sunlight that's why i, I usually use software i use my night shift mode on my mac you know to have the screen more yellow but the sunlight is absolutely beneficial Okay. And so we've talked a lot about diet, how that's important. We've talked about sunlight, relaxation, breathing, blinking, shifting your focus. Anything else that you would add in there? Yes. Resting your eyes. We don't run marathons every day, but we do want to rest our eyes. And there's something called, it's really simple. It's called palming. You close your eyes and you cover your eyes with your cupped hands and you cross your hands like your fingers over on the forehead and you cross your hands. So basically, if you were to open your eyes behind those cupped hands, it would be no light would be coming in. Mm-hmm. And that's a great way, the warmth of your hands and the, you know, the nerve endings in your hands, it's a really great way to relax and rest your eyes. If you do that and you see like old TV snow or like color patches or kind of right, all kinds of stuff, that's your brain really firing from stress, you know, like, because it is really dark, so you shouldn't be seeing anything. And I noticed that myself, I was in an exhibit long, a few years ago, actually not a few, it was like probably 10 years ago, called Dialogue in the Dark, it's led by blind people. It's like blacked out rooms, you get a little white stick like a blind person, and it was there was no light. I thought I would just see black in front of my eyes, but it was like that old TV, you know, where you have that mm-hmm. grizzly, like, and I was like, doesn't matter if I close my eyes or open them, I had that same kind of you know, snow, whatever we call that, right? It was really irritating. And that was my nervous system being on high alert and not being relaxed. Isn't that interesting? You know, I'm going to challenge everyone to do that. Go in a pitch black room and open your eyes and see what you see. And so if you're seeing that static on a TV, like Claudia is describing, then you'll know that there's probably an issue going on with all of the things we've been talking about, your diet, your sunlight exposure, dry eyes. And so these are all remediable is what Claudia is talking about. And, you know, I know we talked about, touched on diet and some nutrients like lutein, lutein, I'm sorry, and definitely lowering sugar, I would think would be part of this. Absolutely. Yes. Honestly, I wasn't even aware of all these connections with sugar until about three years ago when I met Dr. William Rilos Galso, who is a colleague of ours. And that's when I really realized diabetes is the leading cause of blindness in this mm-hmm. country. And I even didn't make the connection right to that. And now I'm studying more in nutrition, nutritional endocrinology, because I think it's super important. I give you an example. I had a recent potential client talk to me. She was early 40s. I think she was actually 40. And she had early cataracts. And I'm like, why is that genetic in your family? She said, no, no, we don't have that. But my doctor said I was pre-diabetic. I'm like, but he said nothing to worry about. I don't, I'm like, <laughs> and this is the stuff that drives me crazy. I'm like, you're pre-diabetic and you have cataracts at 40? Like, this is, you have everything to worry about. 
Yeah, and that's, you know, I laugh not at her. That's very tragic. But because it's insane that we tell people, we doctors tell people that it's nothing to worry about. That's the insanity because it's everything to worry about. And it's perfectly correctable. She doesn't have to get diabetes. She can get it completely reversed. And I love Rita Marie. She's been on the podcast and she explains the same things we're talking about to people. And it all starts with sugar. So definitely decreasing the glycemic load of the diet, doing activities to sop up that sugar, like working out your muscles, and there's supplements that can help too. So what other habits can we adopt to improve our vision? Let me think about it. I mean, I have so many practices. I mean, definitely what I mentioned earlier, the peripheral vision. So I see that a lot, especially when you wear glasses, there's a kind of a tunnel vision effect. Back in the day when I walked in an office, I would often walk up to people and they don't notice me. And then you tap them on the shoulder and they're like, oh my God, they were totally startled. So you can, um, if you have a second monitor, you can have a little YouTube video playing in the corner. Or recently a client told me they have an aquarium and they put that on the side or a mobile, you know, something that moves. So you want to be able to stimulate your peripheral vision because our periphery, outer periphery, right on the sides really we notice movement there. So that's an important aspect to do. And then just um, look at, like, this is the thing that I noticed with a lot of nearsighted people. It's like a zoning out, like parking your eyes. Like, you know, where you just have that blank stare and you don't actually look at something. Mm -hmm. Then in that case, it's better to close your eyes for a moment and then reopen them. And really, you know, we say these things like you don't see the forest for the trees. Vision has to do a lot with attention. So one practice I encourage my students to do, because let's face it, eyesight can only happen in the present moment. Thinking about the future is foresight or visualization or imagination and thinking about the past is memory or hindsight. So one way to stay in the present moment is to pick a color each day, you pick a color and then you look out for that color when you're on your walk, when you're driving. And ideally you do that without glasses if that's safe for you to do, because you focus on what you do see versus you know, I hear a lot of times, oh, everything is blurry. So when you have the color of the day, you're like, oh, there's red over there. I don't know yet what that red thing is, but I see red. So focusing on those positive aspects. And then lastly, the mindset. Again, I hear that all the time. I actually just saw an Instagram post from somebody who posted legally blind. It's a hashtag. And I read, and then she posted her prescription, which was really minor. I'm like, you are not legally blind. You're far, far, far from legally blind. So there is this kind of thinking, I'm blind without my glasses, I'm blind like a bat, or, you know, I can't see anything without my glasses. You know, the, the, those things, the more we tell ourselves those things, mm-hmm. because, you know, when you look at Joe Dispenza, all that research now being done by the HeartMath Institute, how our thoughts and our emotions actually have a big impact on our physical state, right? And uh, the mm-hmm. energy around us. So So I encourage my students to change their thinking to like, I can see everything I need to see. You know, you don't want to make it so fake, like, oh, I can see everything perfectly clear if that's not the case, right? Then it might not connect with you because it's just too abstract. Mm -hmm. But something that I can see everything I need to see or thank you eyes for giving me, uh, letting me see the beauty in the world or whatever you want to, however you want to phrase it, but stop saying I'm blind without my glasses. (laughs) 
I love that. And I love Dr. Joe Dispenza and all the work on quantum physics. And this is something I talk about all the time, which is, you know, your word is your wand and what you state you create and what you believe you create. And so stop saying I'm blind as a bat, can't see without my glasses. And I love your affirmations. Don't make them too outlandish, but I see everything I need to see and having gratitude for our eyes, looking at our eyes in the mirror and being grateful for what they do for us every day. I think that's so important. And this is great information. And we'll start to wrap up. I just, these are great exercises. I know you have a free gift for everyone, the 10 habits for healthy and happy eyes. And they can, we'll have the link in the show notes. They can go there and download that. Anything you want to say about that free resource? It shows some of the things I talked about already. It talks about befriend the blur, for instance, like, you know, when you want to improve your vision, having a little bit of a blur, it's like that little space of where you want to improve. So don't immediately swat the blur away as this, oh, this is annoying, right? Give your attention or your perception some time to recognize something. I'm not talking about a crazy blur where you see nothing, but just mm -hmm. usually what everybody does that works with me, we get into weaker glasses. And that's one thing also I want to tell you, readers, diopters can only correct you for one specific distance. So if you're, let's say, nearsighted and you wear glasses, they correct you for 20 feet distance, but not for two feet, but what the computer distance is, right? So you want to make sure that you don't wear your glasses when you don't need them. That's really important. And I talk about posture and that handout a little bit. Posture is related to astigmatism. And I do talk about some other healthy habits that you can introduce to help your vision maintain it or definitely improve it. Great. Well, thank you so much for offering and sharing that, Claudia. I really appreciate it. And I want everyone listening to download that free guide if you've got vision problems, if you're needing readers, or maybe you've had glasses since you were a kid. There still is room for improvement. And you're not only improving your eye function, but your brain function because you see with your brain. So I'm going to encourage you to download that and do some of the exercises. I love it if you could leave us, Claudia, with your top three take action tips for someone who is really struggling with their vision. What would be number one, two, and three actions to take? So don't wear the glasses when you don't need them. Definitely important. And with driving, I want to say you have driving is a safety thing, right? You have to, but you only have to have 20, 40 vision legally to drive without glasses. However, right, that's probably not the best place to start if you don't feel okay. But don't wear them when you don't need them. Be okay with a little bit of a blur. Blink, 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 blink. Do that breathing practice that we talked about and then rest your eyes. Give your eyes some rest when you're tired. Just close your eyes. Even if you don't want to do palming, close the eyes. And then maybe a fourth one, if I can squeeze that in. Okay. Um, don't automatically put sunglasses on. Maybe wear a hat and just notice that I find that almost everybody is totally okay without sunglasses. So okay. really check if they really need them. Great. So I'm going to challenge everyone listening to take action. Don't just listen. It's great to have information, but without implementation, you're not going to get where you want to be. So pick one thing, pick one thing that Claudia talked about and just say, I'm going to do that. Maybe it could be looking for the colors or not wearing the sunglasses, whatever you want it to be. So thank you so much for joining me. One last question, Claudia. The name of the podcast is Her Brilliant Health Revolution. And I'd like to know what that means to you. 
To me, that means being healthy on all levels, the physical, the mental, the emotional, the spiritual, and really listening to yourself, like listening to yourself, you know, don't accept stomach aches or blurry vision or whatever as normal. So that is really what that means to, to me, is really realizing that optimal health is possible at any age. You can improve at any age. So that's, yeah, on all levels, on all of those levels. And they're all connected, right? They're all connected. Yes, all connected. Thank you so much, Claudia. I very much appreciate you joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it on social media and send it to someone who would benefit from it. If you love the show and really want to support it, please go to iTunes, write a review and subscribe. This helps other women find us so that they too can heal and enjoy brilliant health. I've got a gift for you. If you take a screenshot of your review, Post it on your social media and tag me. I'll send you a special surprise right to your inbox. Thank you so much for joining me. And remember, healing and getting optimally healthy isn't magic, it's science. <laughs>